This is The Guardian. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. It's a food that epitomizes fine dining. I mean, this is decadent. This is rock and roll, baby. This is awesome. I've got myself, as you can see, a lovely... Live lobster. This is from Milford Avon in Pembroke. Although the traditional way of cooking it could be viewed as, well, rather gruesome. Being boiled alive. She may thrash a little bit when she gets in the pan, so you want to be ready with the lid. You want to drop it in tail first. That way that if she tries thrashing at all, you're doing it, you're not going to get covered in boiling water. Boiling and cooking live seafood, like crabs, squid, and even octopuses is still pretty common. All right, here we go. We have some live octopus. Yeah. Oh, no, he's trying to climb out. But that's starting to change. A recent review has led the UK government to consider following other countries like Switzerland and New Zealand in making this practice illegal. The question of whether these animals are sentient has been the subject of a lot of scientific research. And the evidence suggests that they are. So what do cuttlefish, crabs and lobsters really feel? And if they can experience pain, distress, joy and pleasure, should we be rethinking how we treat and eat them? From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay and this is Science Weekly. Jonathan, I do have to ask, have you ever eaten lobster? I don't think I have, personally. Not that I remember. I have been a vegetarian for, I think, 18 years. That's Jonathan Birch, long-time vegetarian and associate professor in philosophy, logic and the scientific method at the London School of Economics. Jonathan headed the review commissioned by the government of over 300 scientific papers which found that cephalopods, that's things like squid, octopus and cuttlefish, and decapods, like crabs, lobsters, crayfish and shrimp, are sentient. There's no reason to think that animals have exactly the same feelings that we do. 
it's not even clear whether ordinary human terms apply very well to animals. But what we're looking for is evidence of experiences that are attractive or aversive to the animal that have a positive or a negative quality. So I can give you one example of a particularly striking piece of evidence that is about octopuses. This is a study where you give the animal a choice of three chambers and in one of them, nothing happens. It's neutral. In another one of them, it's associated with injury. So the animal is placed there after it's been exposed to acetic acid, which is very noxious to to octopuses. And then in a third one, the animal has access to a local anesthetic. If you imagine yourself in that situation, what would you do? Well, you'd probably develop a lasting aversion to the chamber that you associated with injury and a lasting preference for the chamber where you could access the local anesthetic. And exactly the same pattern of behaviour was seen in the octopus. So is it all about behaviour? You know, you see that behaviour in the octopuses. They're choosing particular chambers depending on which one gives them some pain relief or which one gives them pain. Or is there a biological element to this? It's definitely partly about behaviour. And behaviour is very important when you're looking at an invertebrate. But the brain also matters. And of course, it's a relevant part of the case too that octopuses and other cephalopod mollusks like squid and cuttlefish famously have very substantial integrative brain regions that allow impressive feats of learning and memory. So this is all part of the case too. It's about looking at a mixture of criteria, some of them neurological, some of them behavioural, and some of them mixed. And so you and your colleagues working on this review looked at hundreds of scientific papers investigating cephalopod and decapod sentience. You mentioned one of the studies there. What are some of the other ones that you found most interesting? There was a very striking one about so-called anxiety-like states in crayfish. Crayfish will normally explore quite a lot. So they'll explore both the dark and light chambers in a maze. But then when you give them a noxious stimulus, when you give them an electric shock, that produces a, a lasting loss of that willingness to explore. And the authors of this study showed that that state that they called an anxiety-like state is also related to serotonin and modulated by SSRIs, which are the drugs that in humans we use to treat anxiety and depression. It must be very hard not to put these human experiences on animals when you're doing these tests. I mean, how do you even begin to measure this subjective experience that we have in an objective way? Well, that's really what the report is all about. I think there's no single piece of evidence where you can say that's the test that shows the subjective experience there in this animal. To some extent, we don't know what it's like to be an octopus. Their mental lives must be incredibly different from our own. We can't imaginatively project ourselves into their lives. And we can't really be sure whether terms like anxiety or depression are the right terms. But we do have this large and growing picture of evidence that says there is a mental life there, even if we struggle to understand what the octopus's point of view is like. Even if we may never have 
access to the internal life of a lobster. You have found that these animals are sentient. Why is this finding so important? The direct consequence of our report is that the government has amended its sentience bill that creates a duty on policymakers to regard animals as sentient beings. Now, that doesn't have any direct, on-the-ground, immediate impact. But there's a lot of other recommendations in our report as well. And what we hope is that it will start a conversation, a debate about what it means to regard these animals as sentient and respect them, and what humane treatment of these animals actually consists in. Now, Jonathan, what if we didn't base these ethical questions like the humane treatment of these animals on sentience? I mean, why do you think we do this in the first place? And do you think there are any alternatives? Well, I think sentience genuinely matters ethically. This idea that what it takes to matter morally is not about language and not about reasoning or rationality, but about whether things can feel bad to you whether your life can go badly from your point of view, whether you can suffer, whether you can feel pain. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. To put it bluntly, there's nothing wrong with boiling a potato, but there is potentially quite a lot wrong with boiling a sentient being. And do you think, in that respect, there may be other animals, other invertebrates, that just haven't received as much attention and maybe even feel further from us as humans, like insects, where we may discover some sentience in the future and again change our view of how these animals are treated. Even though our report is not about insects, I hope it does start a conversation about insects, because insects are arthropods like the decapod crustaceans, and some of them, such as bees, are known to be quite cognitively sophisticated, quite impressive learners. And there is an issue regarding insect farming, that insect farming is starting to take off in a big way. And it's a type of farming that is essentially completely unregulated. And that's partly because there just hasn't been enough research into what the welfare needs of insects might be, or what humane slaughter might look like. And I think that's an evidence gap that over the longer term, we should try to do something about. So, Jonathan, has this review changed how you think about crabs and lobsters and shrimp and the other animals you looked at? I was unsurprised to find so much evidence regarding octopuses because from documentaries like My Octopus Teacher and and just from the scientific literature generally and from the fact that octopuses have been protected in science in the UK since 1993... It was clear that wasn't all for nothing and that and that there was strong evidence of sentience. One thing that surprised me a little is that the evidence for octopuses was not enormously greater than that for crabs. It was greater, but the fact that it tilted towards sentience so strongly in crabs that people often underestimate, I think, was a bit of a surprise too. Jonathan, thank you very much for speaking to us. It's okay, thank you. So, there you go. It's important to be kind to octopuses, lobsters and crabs. You can read our reporting on the amendment to the Animal Welfare Sentience Bill 
and Jonathan's study on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it from us this week. We'll be back on Tuesday with more of the latest science and environment news. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.